to Scots Whiskey Explorers, a podcast where we discuss everything there is to discuss about whiskey. I'm Stuart and I'll be joined by Peter on each episode, where we will ask the questions and seek out the answers that are prompted by our love of whiskey. If you want to know more about how we came to be making this podcast, please have a listen to the Season 1 trailer. In Season 1, we will be focusing on the fundamentals of single malt Scotch whiskey production. Everything from barley to fermentation to maturation will be examined and explored in exhaustive detail. If you'd like to know more about Scots Whiskey Explorers, or if you'd like to get in touch to leave comments or suggestions, please go to www.scotswhiskeyexplorers.com. You can also find us on Twitter at WhiskeyScots. Thank you for listening to Scots Whiskey Explorers. We hope you enjoy it. Now, please sit back, relax, pour yourself a tram, and enjoy our conversation about matur- more maturation. Come on. Hey, hello, Stuart. How are you? Evening, Peter. Good to see you. I'm doing all right. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, doing good. All the better for seeing your good self. Uh, it's good to get together and have a wee uh, blether about the finer points of where are we now? We're still on maturation, aren't we? Yeah, although I think I think we've, we've moved on down the road a wee bit. We, we have managed to inside the cask at last. At last, that's one of the best places to be, I think, isn't it? <laughs> so, where did we leave it last time? Did we talking about previous episodes? I don't think we got to previous contents of casks, did we? No, that, that's a very good. That that's where I had been thinking. The next step off was is to think about what's inside that oak, because we've we've covered the various regions of where oak would come from, and those each of those will have a different influence on its mm. contents, and those contents themselves would have an influence on the whiskey spirit that's been put it, put in it, and I think we'll we'll maybe just kick we kick off for the list of. Because what, what you can have in those oak casks are spirits, wines, fortified wines, and ale and beer. Um, so that you might have these casks mm-hmm. to be using for your, your spirit. Now, in the, in the round, I wasn't that familiar with beer casks, although I think we mentioned it in terms of size of casks, that sometimes they might slip in, but... I think I have to wrap my memory for thinking that maybe Glenn Fiddich had an, or they have an IPA. Yeah, and you can cask. see, I, I think Glenn Fiddich's being Grant's, and then you can see Glenn Fiddich being a Grant's-owned company, and then I think I've seen uh, your Grant's blends on the supermarket shelves with ale cask, and what else did they have? They had two that came out together. They had an ale cask, and they had a something else cask. I can't remember what it was. But I suppose it's maybe worth pointing out something that's just I've never really noticed before is all of your previous contents that you were talking about there, and you said spirits first of all, and I'm thinking, well, what spirits could you have in? And I'm thinking vodka, gin. Why? And then it struck me that, that why we never have well, vodka's not aged at all, and gin is you know, pretty much not aged. So you're not going to have a, a whole bunch of vodka casks kicking about that can get reused. But really, if you 
think about all of those things that you're you listed they're all quite flavorful and i suppose mm -hmm. that's that's one of the things that's going to be contributing to the resulting whiskey yeah and and the the process you know the interaction between this spirit that we're putting in the cask and the wood it is again about the interaction of that alcohol with the chemicals in the wood but also um if i'm remembering rightly something like three percent of the past contents might have been might have penetrated into the wood at the same time i think there's a kind of subtle balance to be had between understanding that just because it was sherry in the previous cask to choose an example that that means whiskey will be heavily sherried influence heavily sherried influenced mm -hmm. i think there's maybe a slightly reverse argument that would suggest that sherry tastes and looks particularly the color but looks the way that it does because of its interactions with the wood therefore the next spirit in our case that we're interested in whiskey is interacting with the same wood and drawing a similar amount of color from the cask uh, that that's something that, I, that I, that's taken me a wee while to get my head around but there is some sense in it, I think, in that argument that sherry looks and tastes the way it does because of the influence of the oak. And that there is some follow on that whiskey looks and tastes the way it does because of the influence, albeit second time around, of the same cask. Are we not quite often told that it's the, sh it's the sherry so that's giving you the influence? Is that not, that, that's my kind of received wisdom from you know the powers that be is that we use these casks because they come from the best bodegas and therefore that great sherry is leaving something behind in the cask and it's then that's going to give your whiskey something is that is it both is it both of the both of those things is it is it the sherry i, I think it is both i think it's riding but you know if you can use the phrase word riding two horses here right. so I think you've often talked about when we're enjoying it I, I'm, it's usually me who's enjoying this a particular whiskey more and you'll be struggling you're more sensitive to the tannin element mm -hmm. in that particular whiskey and over the course of you know, a number of months and years and thinking about it we've come to see that actually if that particular fortified wine cast was American oak, then you're much more engaged with it. Yeah. Whereas if it was European oak, uh, it releases such a level of tannin that it's not so attractive to you. Yeah. So I I I, I think that's a good example. Or and you know my head's still kind of buzzing with it a little bit. I'm not completely convinced, and I could easily fall into one camp or the other. <laughs> but I think there's something in there that. It's not just the previous content, but it's that previous content's relationship with the wood that then sets a, a, a grounding for the spirit then to go to, to get to work with that with the, with the cask once it enters there. That's that's interesting because I've, I've I was doing a wee bit of reading and I've I've got I don't I can't I don't think we touched upon 
this particular topic the last time, but there's a, some things I'd like to say maybe later on. I won't, we're in, just in mid-flow with previous contents here, so I won't divert the conversation, but there's a wee bit to say about the source of the wood, where, where it was grown, and how these different woods are structurally, internally, on a molecular level, are different, and in terms of the character that they bring to bear on the on the spirit, they've, they've, they've got differences as well. But anyway, we're, we're talking about so previous contents, we had... Yeah, and that's getting me back on track, actually. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> already, already gone too deep, because when you were thinking about spirits, gin and vodka, like you say, wouldn't usually be uh, aged, but certainly for Scotch whiskey anyway, you, you probably have Scotch whiskey as a, as a possible previous content. Aye. Uh, American whiskies, bourbon, rye, mm. as well as uh, more European or specific French cognac and Armagnacs, and maybe you more European brandies yeah. could be the previous contents. But like you said, no, not gin and and wine has become as much more to the fore. I think mm. in reality, I probably hadn't heard much about wine as a as an option for whiskey until Brucalade were much more of the strongest advocates, perhaps because of Mark Rennie's contacts with the wine industry. Yeah. But, you know, some that might be red or white, as vague as that. Um, but others have gone, been a wee bit more forthright and, talk, and, and suggested whether it's, if it's a red wine cask from Bordeaux or Glen Murray, talk about using Chardonnay casks, uh, Hazelburn juice, Sauterne, as have Glen Murray again as well. And the, the they used how many oh, different right. types of casks, you know? And in fact, I think they got as specific as naming the particular wine producer. Yukema, I seem to remember, was a, a look at previous cask for a while. Uh, and, and others, like Springbank again, have used Longrow, has uh, an expression of that, Longrow. Red, which has all been matured in red wine casks. Mm -hmm. And they've gone as far as to name the country and maybe the region, but that, that's moved around, you know, so it's not all been Bordeaux red. Yeah. Been, there's been Chilean or Argentinian red as well for long red. And I, I think, think they, 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 were, they were naming the grapes, weren't they? There was Pinot and then there was Malbec and then there was yeah, yeah. Cab Sauv and things. And well, there's others as well. So you've got a wee bit of a, well, further, wee further to the east, we took Highwood as well. So that, that came more, that, that I might be mis misunderstanding this, but there was, there was a sense that you came in Tokai were somehow a little bit more premium, although um, in terms of the, the wine process, but that might be about the rarity of Tokai. I, 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 can't, I can't really work that out myself. But, the, oh, but on top of that, you would get fortified wines, you know, so Madeira, Masala, Port, Californian or South African sherries, which obviously don't, don't the, the same AOC doesn't really apply to them. Yeah. And any amount of layers of, of sherry, you know, Cartado, Fino, Monteado, Oloroso. And I suppose we will come on to finishes and finishing later. And this PX of Pedro Jimenez, they mm -hmm. have become quite popular in I certainly add a, a fairly a good dent of, of colour. I think we could probably do a whole episode on sherry casks, I think. Yeah. You know, explaining and, and for me, getting to understand the differences of the different sherries and then, of course, what they bring to the to different whiskies. Yeah, and 
I'm sure you've done this too. You do, you do plenty of reading to try and broaden your knowledge on this. And according to McAllen, whether they use Fino or Oloroso, the differences on the flavour of the whiskey they consider quite negligible, but there's almost nothing in it. It's, we don't understand the context of that statement, do we? That, you know, for their purposes, if we're putting together a thousand casks, will it make a lot of difference if five of them were phenol? I, I don't know. But that, and that, again, that, that sits slightly awkwardly from our own, our own experience. There's been, we mentioned uh, quarter casks in the last episode about Robert Hicks, the the, the man at Allied at the time, or, and then Jim Beam experiment with that, and that it was Lefroy and Ardmore that were considered the, the two best proponents for using quarter casks. But there's also been a little, a bit of a, a shift in the way Lefroy have moved towards first world bourbon casks. And more recently, I, I felt that in the last, you know, three or four years, you've seen eight, nine, ten year old Ardmore coming to the market that says has been matured in a Lefroy cask. And consistently now, I think I've drunk enough of them to see that I think there's a difference there. Right. That the, the creamy vanilla of Ardmore is less to the fore compared to the more kind of sharp, briny, iodine notes of what you would recognise as classic Lefroy. Mm-hmm. So... Well, what can I say? It isn't, it isn't. <laughs> Back to riding those two horses again. So I wonder then, as well as the previous contents, like you say, it's going to be the the different qualities of those different woods that are that are having an effect. It's not what we can't just or maybe maybe we shouldn't just say, well, this has been matured in a sherry cask. We need to think. Know, as well as thinking about how long and what type of sherry and was the cask just rinsed with sherry or was it I mean that's another thing you are we finding many casks these days sherry casks that have had sherry in them for an extended period of time what does that mean I don't know you know is that six months or six years I, there's a whole gray area of yeah. information that doesn't seem to be that readily available when you're looking at a whiskey and you're going, oh, it's sherry matured, right? So where's the wood from? How long's the sherry been in it? There, there's just so many questions that you you can try and pick away and try and get these answers, but I, I, yeah. I, I'm not very successful in finding answers out all the time. Yeah. But there was some suggestion along the way that, again, going back to your, when we were talking about your parts being more sensitive to tannins, is that, if we stick with the kind of European and American oak, because to add in those others just gets a wee bit mind blown. But there's a suggestion that really the quality, the consistent qualities of American versus European oak will out. You know, so no matter what the contents, you're much more likely to get the sweeter, more vanillin, vanillin notes mm. if it's been American oak compared to those more robust tannins that you would get in European oak that. that are a little bit more overt, uh, yeah, and, and, and astringent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose what what you get then is that actually the previous contents are what could we say? I think uh, an indirect modifier 
So, is that, is that a technical term? Is that, did did you get that? Uh, I, think I, did, I, did, I, that I just made it up. But I did. <laughs> I definitely put that down in the notes. So that, like you were saying, that like it lays out the potential, different potentials depending on the original wood, and then the subsequent spirit or a subsequent liquid that's mm. been in that cast creates a different a different set of circumstances for the spirit to go to work on. I think one yeah one of the things we'll get into as well when we when we're talking about the the chemistry I suppose is you know what's going on inside the cask during the maturation process so it's not just you don't just throw your spirit in the cask and it immediately picks up all of these sherry notes and the sherry colour and then you know that's it. it there's a, a lengthy and organic process of the the spirit and the wood influence one another and talking to one another and having an effect on each other there have been previous practices of of not having sherry in the cask that it's treated it's treated with a, a kind of set of chemicals and additives called a uh, paxoret, which was a kind of sherry with extra bits added. All right. Um, but that, that's since been outlawed. And I think in Philip Hill's book, Appreciating Whiskey, he, he spends some time denigrating the effects of paxoret and the, how it completely flattens any whiskey notes. And the example he gives of, of a distiller saying, oh, our... our and he's discreet enough not to name the distiller, but saying that our, our whiskey isn't isn't suitable for being matured in sherry. And Philip Hill's view is that the sample he was given to taste, mm. the reason it was so poor is because the cask had been treated with Paxaret. But even having said that, there's still it is still possible to do a treatment of a kind of sherry treatment of pressurizing the cask using a kind of sherry wine where the liquid's forced into the wood under pressure and then released and it certainly adds colour but right. and that and that sherry wine is then once it's disgorged here's the twist and that it's not considered suitable then to go into the full maturation process of being bottled as or the full process of being bottled as sherry. So is is that really a sherry cask? Yeah. And again, like you were saying, it's not the, the stuff about we've picked up, I suppose, is time and patience seems a very important element in the alchemy of making really good whiskey. Mm-hmm. And again, if you're going to have a full, properly produced sherry cask, what you're going to get is that 3% of the sherry will have penetrated into the wood and might have penetrated as far as you know like maybe 10 or 20 millimeters into the wood but these sherry treatments nothing like that you know so although you might get that three percent content from a good quality sherry cask you're only going to get like 0.2 percent penetration from even from having put that cask under pressure to put that sherry liquid into the wood so I imagine that this is this is all kind of driven or born out of the desire for sherried whiskies historically and contemporaneously that people are, well, you can see it yourself, 
and a, a particular, let's say an independent bottler puts out a new outturn every quarter and they hit the shelves on the, the online retailers and which ones are the first ones to be sold out within within minutes. It's the ones that look really sherried. So there's obviously a demand and there's a need there. And we know that, I think we talked in the previous episode about the cost of the sherry casks yeah. being several times more expensive than the than the bourbon cask. I think to, to a multiplier of about 10. Yeah, so I imagine that then the economics of running a running a business means that you're going to look for ways in which you can save money. And that's that sounds to me the the the, the process that you're describing sounds to me like pretty much just a, 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 a money saving exercise rather than filling the cask in with, with good sherry and leaving it for I don't know what how long does it take to season to properly if we could use that word properly you're talking a, a number of years so there you go it's um but i wonder then the the the, the, the proofs in the pudding in it can can we taste it can we can we tell can we even find out which bottle is is which bottles are <laughs> are produced through this method and then do a do a pepsi challenge do a blind tasting with other Pro, in inverted commas, properly seasoned casks, and can we tell? Can we tell the difference? But even then, you're going to be up against it because it might be the wood that had plays a different role in creating the end product, or it might be the, you know, the distiller had a bad day, or it was the different part, in the, the it was maturing in a different part of the warehouse, or blah blah blah. So, but it, I think what I'm driving at is the whole openness and the transparency thing, and, and wanting to know. You know, as a consumer, give me the choice. If you're going to sell me sherry whiskey, give me the give me the knowledge that I can make an informed choice. Yes, that's, that's what I would. That, be. That's a very re- a very reasonable request. I would suggest, and but I think you're onto something about the both the, the price of sherry casks and their availability. There's let's not be naive. There's a market out there, a commercial market, and it has meant that distillers have been put in a position of think, trying to be more imaginative, and so that sherry treatment has been one. Others have sought out to make um, commercial arrangements with particular organisations, perhaps with bodegas in Spain, or and I think even Glenmorangie went as far as owning their own forest in the Ozarks and then I'm producing that wood for bourbon maturation and then bringing that to Scotland for for uh, whiskey maturation. There's also those intercompany organisations. So I mentioned the Ardmore Lafroy connection because they're, they're both part of uh, Bean Global, but there'll be multiple, multiple other intercompany relationships where casks can go around the company and be used in a different way. But if you're a small producer or a smaller producer and don't have those relationships or are limited by virtue of the strength of that that market, you you might need to look to other other ways and other more imaginative ways to to make good use of your casks. And I think you, you mentioned... Jim Swan's innovation of STR. 
yeah. uh, cask last night, which again were a, a, a rejuvenating process. And well, well, I'm guessing we'll come on to that in, in time. But what, the, what I, I was thinking about was how then it was a couple of years back um, when Murray brought out a, a cider cask project. Well, I was I was going to ask you, you know, there's there's you were you were listing your what's allowed in previous previous contents, and you were saying spirits, wines, beers, and ales. You would think, well, well there's a there's a natural kind of is there not something missing there? <laughs> you would think. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I had a wee, you know it's okay, sure, because I, I had a wee bit of an advantage on you there because I knew. What was I was thinking about that there have, there have been shifts and changes because or, or even before Glen Murray Compass Box produced uh, a whiskey called Oak Cross where they had put additional staves inside the cask. Mm. I think I think they were, they were virgin oak or toasted or something. I don't know the actual staves anyway what they were like, but that that wasn't the issue in as much as the SWA rules, I, I think, ruled on the basis of this isn't a traditional cask because it's got extra wood inside it. Right. Now, the next time round, in the next batch, I believe, what Compass Box did then is they used virgin oak ends on the casks as opposed to um, additional staves inside. So, that, But that was very much the SWA saying to Compass Box, as I, I understand it, and I'm completely paraphrasing the, the discussion, of course, no. You're, you're not, uh, your whiskey isn't within the expected rules. It doesn't conform to the traditional way in which whiskey would be matured. But Glen Murray's situation was was quite different because they were using cider casks. It suggested that there's, there's some history in the annals of Glen Murray that they have used cider casks in the past. Mm. But as we've kind of rooted around in this perhaps too far in the past. But then as, as we hinted at, or we talked about right away at the beginning of the discussion, the casts have been around for hundreds of years, so there must have been lots of different things in them before yeah. whiskey got in. However, what the SWA, the Scotch Whiskey Association, uh, concluded that actually cider wasn't something that has, was historically recent enough to be considered suitable for uh, for maturing Scotch whiskey. And uh, so I'll just see if I can find the actual rules because they're, they're quite illuminating in themselves. So the SWA come up with three very distinct rules on what a cask it must be made of oak. Whiskey can only be matured in casks or new oak, which were previously used to mature wine, beer, ale or spirits but not if those casks were previously used to, to mature wine, beer, or ale, or spirit produced or made from stone fruits. Mm. Beer or ale which had had fruit flavouring or sweetening added after fermentation, or a spirit which has had fruit flavouring or sweetening added. Now, I, I was all ready to debate this with you, Stuart, about saying about stone fruits, because those wee hard bits at the middle of a grape. <laughs> if you've not got a seedless grape, well, usually we would call them pips or something, wouldn't we? And at the core of an apple, 
similarly a pip. But I'm in a complete hiding to nothing because that response from the SWA came after, in 2019, the Cask project was, was released to market in 2018. A short run, a few thousand bottles. They all um, were sold. Glen Murray had an arrangement with Thistle Cross cider makers, and, and I believe actually Whiskey Cast still go to Thistle Cross, but they can't come back and be rematured or used mm -hmm. for rematuring at whiskey. Wow. Um, and that, so I was already having this discussion about pips and you know, surely an apple pip and a grape pip or whatever, but it's it's there in black and white now that cider casts are, are ruled out by emission. They're not in there. Mm. They're not wine, beer, ale, or spirit. I don't think we talked about this in a previous episode, but you know that at the new Lag Distillery in Arran, there's orchards out the front. <clears throat> yeah, I'd heard about that. So, when last time, I, well, it wasn't the last time, but one of the times I was at La Cranza in the north of the island, and Lag hadn't yet come online, and I was talking to one of the chaps at Lacranza Distillery and he was saying that they were going to look into producing cider at Lag. You know, like the, um, a lot of new distilleries will produce gin to provide a, a revenue stream. And, mm. and I was like, oh, all right, cider, well, that's different. So that's nice. And at the same time, when I was on the island, I was reading a book that was um, just a wee kind of historical book about Aaron. And it was making the point that there's a lot, there's a, a really strong historical connection between Aaron and apples. All, you know, at one point, almost every garden or every patch of ground on the island, if it was suitable, would, would be used for apple production. So there's a real kind of natural evolution of, lag then going on and planting this uh, orchard. So I wonder if what Glen Murray tried and were not allowed to continue, I wonder if lag are going to take up the baton and um, have another go. If they're producing cider, that's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. How that might pan out. Certainly is. Watch the space. <laughs> So the um, cider's not allowed because of the regs, right? And yeah, and again, like you're suggesting, that, that's that hasn't won universal approval. I was reading in the Malt Whiskey Yearbook for 2021, I think, at uh, Ian McMillan, so an independent whiskey guru guy. But he, you could give Ian a lot of credit for bringing really completely revamping and bringing Deanston, Tobermory, Leitrig and, and Bunahaven way and you know, really upgrading their product by getting it at, with for no chill filtration and I know how to colour and being bottled at 46.3% so I, I, I just was leafing through for some particular other particular reason and just caught that he himself was saying he, he thinks there's room for innovation in terms of cask use. But I, th I thought that was the whole that was the whole point of recently the there was a relaxation of the rules to allow tequila casks. 
to be used in in Scotch whisky maturation. And this was heralded as a a great innovation and with a flourish of a fanfare you know about all about the this new innovation and creativity within the maturation realm let's use tequila casks now we're allowed to use them Mm. there's a tension there isn't there between tradition and innovation i'm not one i can hold i have to confess i can wholly understand the direction because ciders are much more a much more likely alcohol given Scotland and Britain's climate than tequila. Yeah. So I, I can't I can't quite square that circle, Stuart. No, it, it leaves me a bit flummoxed as well. Because I know the, the regs are, are quite hot on tradition and you 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 referenced the compass box thing and that was I think they they took umbrage at the fact that they were they got their knuckles wrapped for not using traditional maturation methods, but when pressed, they couldn't really find out what these traditional what what was meant, what's the criteria, what's the definition? And I don't know how tequila and mezcal falls within the definition of traditional within the Scotch whisky industry. Are they matured spirits? And absolutely- well, rum, rum also is one of those casts that appears every now and again. But that, that's got a long history of being drunk in Scotland. And, and, well, there's, I think there's a, 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 a long tradition of expats, of, of, of Scots oh. leaving and going to um, going to the, the Caribbean and taking up the production of rum over there. So there's... There's also not Cadenhez was it started as a rum importer, I think, rather than whiskey. I don't know. But they certainly they they were very to the fore of of rum importation into into the UK. So and again, well, but rum's very clearly a cask matured spirit. Mm. But I, I'd like to say that it's hard to to wholly get your head around what I, I think I've become tequila and, and, and the like are, are more, uh, for the UK market, I think are more um, modern spirits, is that is that the right expression? And they've become I'm, much trendier. And, no, not that they've not been around, but they've become much more to the fore in the last few years, haven't they? Yeah, well the, the conflict for me in my head is, if you can allow tequila, why can you not allow cider? I would I think there's something in that, Stuart. Like you say, we can't square the circle on it. It's just really mm. quite peculiar. However, so well that that's that's that took us that was quite an event really then for the SWA to to put to put into detail those expectations and what cast could and couldn't have contained. Do you have any more detail about you know, are the are the SWA giving us any more info on what is and isn't allowed? Just that. That general statement about the spirit can only be matured in casks that have been used to mature wine, beer, ale, or spirits, but without those having been from stone fruit or beer or ale being sweetened after fermentation 
or mm. any sweetener added to the spirit. So presumably you wouldn't, uh, I don't know about um, any kind of fruit schnapps or anything like that that are, I'm not very familiar with them, but presumably they wouldn't fit either if they had been had had sweetener added at some point or some sugar added. I, I really don't know. And my, well, the schnapps I've mostly come across have all been clear spirits, so I'm assuming that there's not really much in the way of maturation going on there. Yeah, but yeah. On, on any taste, I, I would suggest the same. So that's a kind of, um, that's in, in, in terms of maturation, but in your, in your detecting and your explorations, was there anything to differentiate maturation from th these phrases that we see used? Double maturation, seasoning, finishing, acing. What have you got on that? That therein lies another what a sense of a little bit of a conundrum, Stuart, because we've hinted at seasoning using those wine like or, or sherry like drinks, but also there's a phenomenon of finishing, which is, I like you say, there's another phrase for additional maturation, or what I think Grafadi used the expression acing, but it, it is a period of where. Whiskey is is re or another expression is re racked into another cast, uh -huh. but in terms of that second maturation, that can be well because no, the rules don't tell me any different. That could be for five minutes, five years, ten years, longer, because there isn't there aren't any rules on on how long that should be, as long as the cast conforms. To the original requirements in terms of oak cask, sure, it, it, it's absolutely fine. You could actually have a rather perverse situation where whiskey bottler A, two whiskey bottlers, and whiskey bottler A has their whiskey in a bourbon cask for three years, and then a sherry cask for seven years, and calls it finished in a sherry cask and you could have someone else having bourbon for seven years and sherry for three years and calling it double matured or you know there's yeah. there, there seems to be a so so much vagueness that it serves almost to to say nothing i i think you make a good point there and i, I think it's good to contrast these Two phenomena in terms of maturation of whiskey that for, were one set of rules in terms of what the oak should be like to be tied down so specifically, arguably, uh -huh. compared to how long you can put your extra stuff in or your stuff in for extra time to be so vague and you don't have to declare it on the label if you choose not. So you don't even need to put double matured on it. And I suppose there are other phenomena, you know, that there's no doubt that that selection of that cask selection will be about adding or changing flavour and colour. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the particular casks that come to mind and we've mentioned already is a Pedro Jimenez or PX, which will add an immense colour and, and an arguably a kind of sweetness. 
as well as uh, Virgin Oak. And we'll, we'll come on to Virgin Oak a, a, a wee bit later, I'm sure, that there's no doubt for my mind, that's about enhancing the flavour of the spirit. And for good or ill, I think we there's a wee bit of a cautious approach, I think I would suggest. And I think this is borne out historically rather than all, all the more currently, but I think it's reasonable to include, to, to conclude really, that the spirit maybe needed a little bit of an enhancement, mm-hmm. that it, it needed some help. And, I think certainly in the early terms of times of finishing, I I found that that there was a particularly <coughs> excuse me if it was a wine cask or a port cask or something like that, what the the flavours didn't marry very well. Maybe that the particular drink, and I'll I'll be candid or not very candid here to name names. I'll just keep that those names under my hat. But what I became wary of finding is that after a period of time. After I was drinking like two drinks in the one glass, but the wine <laughs> the wine notes tended to congregate in one side, and the whiskey notes on the other. And I, I, I think maybe that's come through in what we've what we've said already is that I became a little bit of a, a finishing skeptic because I think certainly it was being presented as something new and innovative, perhaps at the time, but the result didn't taste very new and innovative. It, t- it tasted a bit puzzling and suppose, not always very satisfying. I suppose like anything, like, or, or like any of the elements of whiskey production that we've talked about in season one, you can do it well or you can do it poorly. Mm-hmm. And it's testament, I think, to the, to the producers that are doing it well, that they're doing, you know, they're, they're able to, take their spirit, whether it's a very bold spirit that they are making at their particular distillery or if it's a very light spirit and they're able to reach a, a, a degree of harmony with these previous contents and the, the casks that they're imbuing their whiskey with a little bit of something extra. Yeah, um, there were, I'm pretty sure Ralphie's got some videos of this about enhancing whiskey that he's felt was a wee bit under par right. what he advocated was uh, toasting uh, uh, some some oak and, and like this is all Heath Robinson homespun and I'm not making any claims here for what the outcome was um, but toasting the oak gently on, under the grill in your cooker and then dipping it in yeah, to in the spirit or wine of your choice, and then adding it to the the whiskey that you felt was a little bit under par, and leaving that for a period of time. Now the actual time, but I can't quite remember, and I suspect Ralphie was experimenting in one way. Of course, we're also unimaginative that we did it too. And what I I can remember a time coming across. With with a, a eureka hurrah moment of coming across in a well known supermarket, barbecue chips made from bourbon barrels. <laughs> I thought I'd struck the mother load. <coughs> so I I too have, with varying degrees of success, felt <laughs> that I improved the quality of the whiskey that I was. That was uh, I'm not sure if I was finishing it or acing it. Of course, 
you can't add chips. I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't selling it, so like, I wasn't making, I wasn't making any whiskey. But I think there were particular eyebrows raised, if I remember back in the day when Ralphie, when he was, he was still living in Scotland, um, when he had uh, his butt fast finished Balbalaya. Nice. So that well-known tonic wine, having been enhanced with the, or enhancing a, a well-known Scotch whisky. But I, I think my one I actually did quite like was, uh, ironically, given what the past discussion was, was his tequila Kalila. Wow. Where he had uh, he bathed some uh, some oak in, <laughs> in tequila before adding it to, imagine that, an under par Kalila. Well, maybe it wasn't under par, he just doesn't was happen. doing it anyway. You know, Ralphie's alone to himself, really, about how he sees sees things. So those are perhaps, that's maybe a lighter note, but there was good fun to be had with that. And, I, and there's certainly the Kiwila um, um, hit home with a particular punch, I do remember. Well, you're, you're, you're calling the, the stopwatch on me there, Stuart. Do you, think, well, I... do you think we can do, do you think we can wind things up? I think it might be nice to kick off the next episode with Virgin Oak because I know you've got a lot of great things to say about it. <laughs> All right, and we, and we could we could maybe start the next episode with that and then try and improve your mood <laughs> by, talking, <laughs> by talking about things that you're more. Um, uh, Affectionate towards the episode. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a good a good point to finish before. Well, well, we're still on a good note. Yeah, um, and I think when, well, I'm hoping that we're managed to take it beyond the obvious and and be beyond and do a wee bit of myth busting, I suppose. And I, I really appreciate some of those comments you made, but like thinking about the, the, the context on how McAllen found Fino or Oloroso really made no difference. Mm -hmm. um, because again, that it's I, I think maybe if we've learned anything in the process of this is there aren't any there aren't any pat answers that sometimes there are squares and circles out there that don't necessarily fit easily together and and well that's just the uncertainty we live with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of an anomalies. There's a lot of things that just can trip you up. If you're looking for some answers, you're maybe not going to get them, or you're maybe not going to get the answers you like. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, great chat. Good stuff. I think uh, in time-honoured fashion, we should um, show our appreciation to uh, all the people that make all of those drinks that are previous contents of the casks yeah I here's think. to you yes here's to you <laughs>